With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to tonight's edition of Students for a Better Future Radio. I'm your host, Doreen LaGuardia with Cisco Acosta, and we are live. Are you worried about Islamic terrorism? Well, you shouldn't be because a new poll by Pew Research finds that only 20% of Muslims believe that targeting civilians can be acceptable as a tactic to further a religious cause. That means if you meet five Muslims, only one of them is likely to think it's okay to kill you. So that's good. Meanwhile, a California imam is apologizing after he referred to Jews as filth. Watch. O Allah, liberate the Al-Aqsa Mosque from the filth of the Jews. O Allah, count them one by one and annihilate them down to the very last one. Do not spare any of them. So do we have Islam all wrong? Is it actually a tolerant faith? Bob Morrow. Okay, folks, and welcome to tonight's show. We're going to be talking about living America with jihad. Cisco, can you hear me? I'm here. I'm here. Um, here. Okay. Welcome. Uh, another wonderful. Get into tonight. Go ahead. What was that? No, I said. Uh, I said before we get into tonight. Yeah, I'm here. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, before we actually get into tonight's topic, um, I just want to run through the election. And in New Jersey, we are now reporting from the People's Republic of New Jersey right now. Because uh, Mayor Bill Murphy got in, and um, he, we, we have an all-democratic legislator and now a democratic governor, so pretty much anything that comes in is going to pass. And the reason why he got in is, well, for a couple reasons. Number one is a lot of the um, Republicans have moved out of New Jersey because of the high taxes. Correct. And two, yep, Kim Gudano. She she basically came out and said that she didn't uh, support Trump. That's another reason. And oh, yeah. uh, so there's a whole host of reasons. Um, so go ahead, Cisco. Well, well, I think another factor and then another reason why we left, why I left New Jersey, is that New Jersey is has become uh, a state that has tolerated. Um, the people have tolerated uh, high taxes and high crime and failed educational systems, and and people, the people like like my family, and you know, and a lot of them left the state because they don't see a future 
for New Jersey. And now with the election of Phil Murphy, you know, New Jersey as a state will become, and I hope not because I have our friends, so many friends and family, will become another another uh, failed state like California. Yes, and he, Phil Murphy has come out and already stated that he's going to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That's the first. Also said that he is also going to um, make the state a sanctuary state. Yes, just uh, like and, California. And so, California. California California, just became a sanctuary state. And we know that when it's a sanctuary state, it brings in crime. Of course. So we, ha- we have to now deal with this. But anyhow, let's go on with our topic. Um, we have a great guest coming up. Her name is Pam Geller. Um, she's going to be joining us in just a minute. And um, we want to talk about the, the terror attack last week in New York. Yes. Um, it was a man man by the name of Saifulo Saipox. I know from the He was a 29, 29-year-old from Uzbekistan, but he right. he was with the green card. He um he had a green card to stay in the United States. And what he did was he drove a rental truck from Home Depot, that's where he rented it from. And he drove right. it down a bike path near the World Trade Center. And this, by the way, this was on, this was on Halloween. And he shouted, Ali Akbar, he killed eight people, and I believe injured 11. Um, and when investigators went to, invest, to take a look at his vehicle, he had handwritten notes on there. They were handwritten in Arabic, pledging loyalty to ISIS along with the flag symbol of, of ISIS. Um, and so this was under the administration of de Blasio. And, and uh, I'm going to mention Chucky, too, in just a second. Um, but the suspect had entered the USA under a, a particular visa. What is it? The diversity immigrant visa in 2010 and was a uh, per, again, was a permanent green card resident. He resided in Ohio, Tampa, Florida, and Patterson, New Jersey. And he had worked for Uber, and he had a CDL. Sisto, can you hear me? Yes, I, I can hear you. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know about the green card. I don't know about the green card. I thought he was here. He came on a diversity uh, visa, and but I was I was not aware. I was not aware of the um, I was not aware of the um, green card. Yeah, and so the now now with this diversity program, the immigrant visa program is actually. Um, proposed by Chuck Schumer, and it was signed into law by George H. Bush. So that's how he got in, 
and he had actually told the uh, FBI agents when he was in the hospital that he had no problem killing these people. And that's a statement that I that I got. I actually got it out of the New York Times. Well, we're going to bring on that, Pam. That just, yeah, that just shows you. That just shows you that there's no way uh, you're going to be able to vet some of these individuals from Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and some of these unknown places in this world. How are you going to possibly vet them? You know, uh, it's just the idiotic form of of processing and and uh, of the Democrats. That really, really um, makes me wonder: Do they really, really care about the country, or do they just are totally bent on on destroying the country? Right, and well, that means votes for them when they let everybody in the country. At this point, I want to bring on Pam Geller, our guest for this evening. She is the co-founder of Stop Islamized of Nations. That's an umbrella group um, that also includes the Stop Islamization of America and the Stop Islamization of Europe. And she is also the leader in the counter-jihadi movement in the American, and uh, same thing, plays a role in the European movement as well. Um, and she's also author of a book called The Post-American Presidency, The Obama Administration, and War in America, with Robert Spencer and former Ambassador John Bolton and another book called The Stop Islamization of America. Uh, we're going to bring her online uh, on the, the show, and um, th- this is really her expertise. Um, so hold on a minute. Hello. Hello. Uh, yes. Good evening. I'm Pam Geller. Hi, Pam. This is Doreen LaGuardia from the radio station. You're live on the air. Hello. Um, We're we're talking about the recent New York City case. And, um, you know, we basically discussed some policies uh, of the administration and about the visa program that had allowed these type of character to come into the uh, country. And so... Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, my name is Pamela Geller. I'm the editor and publisher of The Geller Report and author of Fatwa, Hunted in America, my new book that just came out this week. Uh, It's a story, it's actually my story, Living Under a Fatwa, which under Islam is a legal ruling by a recognized authority. It's a death sentence. And it's interesting that you're talking about the Halloween Jihad and the policies that led to it. Because, you know, just yesterday we saw Mayor de Blasio uh, reelected, uh, barely I would say, because he may have won in a landslide. I don't know what the final numbers were, but I can tell you, uh, being a New Yorker, no one was at the polls. I mean, they were, it was a ghost town. And to me that was shocking because it was Mayor de Blasio who in the last election campaigned on dismantling counterterrorism policies and did just that. The the mosque of Seifula, Saipov, and his first name, Seipula, means sword of Allah. Um, You know, his mosque, the Omar Mosque, was under investigation in one of those counterterrorism policies. There were over 20 
um, you know, dangerous jihadis um, being uh, monitored there. He dismantled that program. And so who's to say what would have happened if that program remained in place? Perhaps that plot would have been thwarted. And the fact that this was not only not news, because we know the media is very much aligned with uh, the jihad force, but that New Yorkers were not even curious in so much as uh, what mosque he went to and why didn't they know um, uh, that the mosque was under investigation and that Mayor de Blasio, you know, stopped that investigation. And if they did know, why didn't they care? You know, so whatever's coming, and there's plenty coming, I can tell you that. Uh, no, New York has no one to blame but themselves. They had a very good candidate um, with Nicole. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna butcher her last name. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, from um, Staten Island, and they completely dropped the ball. It wasn't even close. Well, Pam, Sorry. welcome, welcome to the show. This is Cisco. And I have to tell you, I also, as a, as a New Yorker, living all my life in New York, uh, I mean, I've got I've gone through quite a few great mayors and horrible mayors like David Dinkins and then a great mayor like Rudy Giuliani. The Blasio has to rank as the worst of all of them. Well, and, you know, um, well, to your point, if it wasn't for the horror of the Dinkins administration. Giuliani would never have been elected. Correct, correct. That's, that's remember, true. you remember the riots in, in in Brooklyn in Crown Heights where they were attacking Jews, uh, massive crowds of African Americans uh, slaughtered in cold blood, a Jewish student in the street, and he did nothing during the riots. I mean, that's what it took. That's the level of depravity that New Yorkers need to get to to elect a responsible mayor? Well, I think that's a stunning indictment of New Yorkers. Well, I'm very disappointed with the uh, the people of New York and also the people of New Jersey for electing two individuals that are really going to destroy and, and ruin the, the, the future of New York and New Jersey, New York City. <laughs> and uh, I'm very sad because right. that's... Uh, that is why so many people are just moving out of those two, you know, cities and states. Yeah, of course, they're voting with their feet. Uh, look, these are notoriously blue states, and New York may have had moments of lucidity, but overall, uh, New York, yes, is the greatest city in the world. Um, you know, it's, to me, it's the capital of the free world, uh, but in everything except politics. In politics, it's a sick city. It has always been a sick city. This is not new. It's under the boot of the Democrats, back to Boss Tweed, Tammany Hall. I mean, we have suffered as a city, even if you remember, you might not recall this, but New York has always been on the wrong side of history, even during the Civil War. There was a vote for New York to secede from the Union. Uh, I like you know always on the wrong side of history. So this is consistent, but it's a pity that we have learned nothing, especially a city that is so much a target of uh, the global jihad. And I have crossed swords with the city government a number of times. This is all 
outlined in my book, I mean, it's not just my story about living under fatwa and being the target of multiple assassination plots, like in Garland, Texas, or last week in Boston, the ringleader of a Muslim plot to behead me uh, was convicted in that plot and uh, on all charges, and he faces a life sentence now. But, you know, it's the other fights. It's the fights in the information battle space where I had to sue the city of New York when I wanted to run ads to counter vicious ads, pro-Sharia, pro-Jihad, anti-Jewish, anti-Israel ads. I had to sue to get them up, and I sued, and I won. And then the city, for the first time in its history, banned all political ads from the transit system, from buses, subways, billboards. I mean, this is supposed to be the capital of the free world. They banned all political ads, and they banned all cause-related and religious ads. And then, of course, after New York did it, because New York really is you know, a template, uh, Washington did it, Boston did it, Chicago, Miami... Los Angeles, San Francisco, Denver, this is what's going on across this country, and people are not even aware of it. I mean, this is the country on of the First Amendment, not the Fifth, not the Eighth, but, but the First Amendment. And this is, this is the kind of um, suppression of free speech that, we, that, that, that we're getting. It, it's just, it's, it's incredible to me, because freedom of speech is the foundation of a free society. And without it, a tyrant can wreak havoc unopposed. The bottom line is, you know, uh, it's offensive. Uh, Listen, everything that the media says about me is offensive. Am I going to criminalize their speech? Of course not. I will debate them, but they won't debate me um, because my ideas are better. My ideas are based on individual rights and equality for all before the law. They won't debate me. They have to, they have to uh, you, you know, use ad hominem attacks. They have to smear me, uh, demonize me, defame me, monsterize me, make me into a monster so that no one will listen to the message of a monster. But, being, but putting up with being offended is essential in a pluralistic society which differ on base, in which people differ on, on basic truths. If a group will not bear being offended without resorting to violence, that group will rule unopposed while everyone else lives in fear, while other groups curtail their activities to appease the violent group. And then this results in the violent group being able to tyrannize the others. And this is what you are seeing. Because if speech that offends a group is outlawed or rendered verboten, that group has absolute power. And a free society is destroyed. A group that cannot be criticized cannot be opposed, and it will work its will no matter what it is. And you know what? No one will be able to say anything. Well, it's, it's just right. like what's happening in Europe. In Europe, you know, there's no First, first Amendment, no freedom of expression, and, 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 and you know, they have the hate, hate speech. I mean, as, as I recall, you're banned from entering the U.K., correct? Yes, yes, I am. But they allow hate preachers in. You know, they allow the most vicious, jihad-spewing imams in. But I was banned. I was supposed to appear at a ceremony in memory. I was supposed to lay a wreath on Armistice Day, Armed Forces Day, um, lay a wreath at the site of where a young British father, a young British soldier, was beheaded in broad daylight on a street outside of London. Um, And they... 
uh, denied me entry and they banned me from the country, saying that my presence was not conducive to the public good, that Muslims might get violent. So you see, you're rewarding violent behavior. You are saying, oh, if you're violent, we will do. We will do as you, as you uh, command that we do. And, you know, I, we sued uh, my law firm, American Freedom Law Center, David Yerushalmi and Robert Muse, a, the most, um, I think, uh, the leading First Amendment law team in the country. We, uh, I, they didn't sue on this one. I had to use, of course, a, a British firm. But we sued the Crown. And what was most interesting was some of the documents we got out of that lawsuit under the duty of candor. We didn't win because every time we went into a courtroom there, it was all about, well, we can't discuss it. It's national security. Excuse me? First of all, everything I've ever said and ever written is online. I've never, ever incited or exhorted to violence. I believe in freedom of speech. I believe the war should be in the battle of words that we should battle ideas because really this is where the action is in the information battle space. All the uh, bullets and bombs and bloodshed comes as a result of what happens in this war. But they would not allow me in. And in these papers that I received, received um, a, a good part of the reason was my support of Israel. And they actually said in the emails to each other that was released under the duty of candor that they shouldn't mention that when going public with the ban because a number of American presidents feel that way too, which I thought was funny but also reflective of their anti-Semitism. But, yeah, I'm still banned, actually. It's now, I think, going on five years. Well, I Hold on, Cisco. Hold on, Cisco. Pam, do you think that um, that governments around the world actually go out of their way to appease the Muslims? They are. I mean, it's policy. When you see Herod Wilders, or as they pronounce it in America, wrongly, Gert Wilders, Herod Wilders is... Uh, second in, you know, the most powerful political party in Holland. Uh, he has been prosecuted for hate speech, uh, merely for, you know, reciting Quranic verses. So when imams recite Quranic verse and verses, um, you know, I have, Muhammad saying, I've been made victorious through terror, or smite them at the, their neck, or, you know, slay the unbelievers wherever you find them, he's put on trial. Brigitte Bardot, Brigitte Bardot has been um, um, indicted five separate times on these uh, hate speech charges. They call it racism. First of all, Islam is not a race. It's not a skin color. It's not a gender. It's not a nationality. It's not the color of your socks. Okay? It's an ideology. So that's the first thing that they have the West bowled over. But we do see the EU. We do see these countries adhering to the Sharia. We see the American press adhering to the Sharia. In the wake of the Halloween jihad, not four hours, the blood is still warm in the bodies strewn all over uh, Tribeca. Um, NBC's headline is, American Muslims Brace for Backlash. Now, this is what we get after every jihad attack. We get Sharia and we get Dawah. Sharia is Islamic law. You cannot criticize Islam or offend Islam. And you get Dawah, which is, a, which is an imperative under Islam. To If you're speaking of Islam, you are proselytizing for Islam. So uh, there's never any backlash. We get this after every jihad attack. 
We ne- going back to 9-11, they said the same thing. There's never any backlash. What we, get, what we come away with after a jihad attack is that the real victims are Muslims. And then this latest twist, this obscene, perverted twist, where you have the media rebranding Alu Akbar. You have Jake Tapper saying that it's a beautiful phrase. You have the New York Times two days in a row doing two separate glowing pieces on Alu Akbar. The Huffington Post, New York Daily News. I mean, this is just obscene. Alu Akbar is the jihadi war cry. Alu Akbar is what Muhammad would, would, would screech as he went into battle. As a matter of fact, Muhammad, and I'm talking about the prophet of Islam, would wait until daybreak before he would attack a village. He would wait until daybreak to hear if there was a Muslim call to prayer coming from the village. If there was, that sound, Alu Akbar, the, the morning call to prayer. If there was a morning call to prayer, Muhammad would not strike that village. If there wasn't, he would slaughter, rape, behead, pillage that town. So it's really not just a supremacist declaration, because Alu Akbar means Allah is greatest, Allah is greater, greater than what? Greater than your God. But it's also a declaration of, I am a Muslim, so don't kill me. Or as the Quran says, I am the best of people, do not kill me. And as you see, with whether it's the Islamic State or it's Boko Haram or it's Al-Shabaab, when they're conducting a mass jihad attack, whether it's in Mumbai, whether it was in Kenya, Nairobi, at the Westgate Mall, um, we see that they will uh, test their victims and ask them, questions to see if they're Muslims. In Mumbai, they, they let all Muslims go. In Westgate, at the mall, they, 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 they grilled them. They asked them questions, and if they didn't know the answers, they gouged their eyes out and they killed them. And what bothered me most about that story, I mean, it's disgusting and vile and barbaric, but even more, I thought, savage, was why didn't any of the Muslims yell out the answers? Like when they said, what was Muhammad's mother's name? Why didn't somebody just say, Amina? Like, why, did, why wasn't that human impulse there? Nobody did. No Muslims did that. And they were slaughtered. And so, um, again, this campaign of disinformation is so dangerous. Listen, it's why I wrote the book. I, anyone that follows my work, and I've been doing this since 9-11, knows I've never discussed the personal side. I've never discussed my private life at all. But I felt we were reaching, reaching a tipping point. And the American people needed to know that there are Americans that are living under 24-hour death threat, requiring 24-hour security, that you cannot trust law enforcement. Law enforcement was in on the planning of the Garland, Texas Jihad. And if, I, if you'd like, I could explain a little bit about what that event was. Um, uh, there, was a fr- there was a French Paris weekly called Charlie Hebdo. It was a French magazine. And it's an offensive magazine, sort of like Mad Magazine for adults. They insult everybody. It's they, Christianity, Judaism. So, I mean, they're just, they're just obnoxious. So what? Anyway, they ran a cartoon of Muhammad, and they, there was a fatwa issued against them. Now, these fatwas have no expiration date. I will have a fatwa on my head for the rest of my life, just like Salman Rushdie. His fatwa is just, alive as, it, is just as alive 
and potent as it was in 1989 when it was first issued. And Charlie Hebdo's uh, fatwa was issued two years before they were all slaughtered in the office. In their magazine offices, devout Muslims opened fire and killed cartoonists, editor, ed, edit, editors, and, and writers. And so three days after that slaughter of, uh, of the magazine staff in Paris, Muslim leaders in this country assembled in Garland, Texas, and they did not stand for the freedom of speech. And wouldn't that have been a golden moment for American Muslims? Wouldn't that have showed the world about, you know, American Muslims, you know, enlightenment? No, 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 no. They held a conference in support of Muhammad, in support of the Sharia, in support of Islamic law, the blasphemy laws. They held a Stand with the Prophet conference in support of the Sharia against, quote, Islamophobia. And again, here we go with that term. And it's important to, 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 to explain that that term is, it, it amounts to little more than the enforcement of Sharia in the, in the marketplace of ideas. The concept of Islamophobia. Any criticism of jihad terror that examines its ideological roots in Islam is called Islamophobia. And the word is used to intimidate people into thinking there's something wrong with opposing jihad. So I held a conference in, in that same room in that same venue, in that same city, Garland, Texas, in support of the freedom of speech. I held a conference. It was an art exhibit showing depictions of Muhammad over the past 1,400 years in art and literature, Dante's Inferno. I was trying to show that Muhammad had been depicted and people were not always being beheaded and slaughtered in cold blood, and that was happening today in order to impose the Sharia, the blasphemy laws on the West. That's why I did it. Part two of the interview with Pam Geller. I had this competition, and two jihadists opened fire. And if it wasn't for my security team, my SWAT team, I don't know how many Americans would have been killed. But what came out of that event, apart from the fact that we smoked out a jihad cell, there were numerous plots that they had subsequently found out about because of those jihadists. But we found out a year later, in an indictment in North Carolina, of an ISIS recruiter, Eric Jamal Hendricks, that he had been communicating with the FBI in the plot against the jihad uh, attack on Garland, that he, there was an FBI undercover agent in on the plot. Now, the left went nuts with this. The Daily Beast said, oh, look, he said, tear up Texas, as if that would be some form of entrapment, which I think is absurd. Like if someone said to me, tear up New York, I would get in a machine gun and start mowing down people. It's just absurdly stupid. No, that didn't bother me. They were at our event. The FBI was texting the jihadists, Ibrahim Simpson and Nadia Sufi, at our event. They were asking how many people are there, are the police, how many police are there, is the FBI there? And then 60 Minutes did a piece on the fact that the FBI was in the car behind the jihadists. When the jihadists got out of the car, the FBI stopped the car and started taking cell phone footage of them. And when the jihadists began firing on us, they got in the car and drove away. They were actually pulled over by Garland police because the police thought they were part of the plot. So what's wrong with this story? They, didn't, they never warned us. They didn't alert us, and they didn't have anyone there. They had no one there to protect us. So what did they think was going to happen when they began firing? What did they think was going to happen? As a matter of fact, the guard, one of the guards who was shot by the jihadists in the leg, is suing the FBI for aiding and abetting ISIS because that was the first ISIS attack in the United States. That's what I mean when I say you can't trust law enforcement because they had been infiltrated at the senior level. Came out yesterday, Thomas Fitton over at Jihad Watch, 
under his Freedom of Information Act. He's just so marvelous with the, with, with, with the work he's doing. Exposed that uh, former FBI director and now Russian investigator, which should give everybody pause, former FBI director Mueller had partnered with terrorist groups, terror-tied groups in this country. I'm talking about CARE. Council of American Islamic Relations, unindicted unindicted co-conspirator in the largest terrorist funding trial in our nation's history, had partnered with CARE and ISNA, also named in the Holy Land trial uh, as an unindicted co-conspirator and Muslim Brotherhood proxy. He partnered with them to purge all counterterrorism materials of jihad, Islam, and Sharia. So, yeah, this goes to the senior level. And that's why I wrote this book, because the American people have no clue what's going on right under their noses. It's as if they're Helen Keller and someone moved the furniture. They're really blind. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and this, yeah, this is not static. This is fluid. This is going to get much worse. Well, well, well. Uh, hold on. Uh, Pam, hold on, hold on, Cisco. Pam, you, hold on. have you heard of the Brendan Tevlin case of um, – that happened in West Orange, New Jersey. He was uh, 18 years old, okay, and he came back from college for the summer. He went to yeah. University of Richmond. It must have been about 12 o'clock in, in the night, and you know how, how boys are. They came home from – he was coming home from his friend's house. Um, the mom said to us that she was playing – he was playing video games there, and he had actually texted her. Well, he stopped at a stoplight in West Orange, New Jersey, and, and he was uh, shot to death by uh, Ali Muhammad Brown. Yes. Who had who? Yes, he had was shot to death again. This is not a story that nobody knows. And you know what? Thank you for bringing it up because no one knows that story about Ali Muhammad Brown. And he had come from uh, killings of gays in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken. It was definitely Washington State. Yes. Yeah, he had he had uh, murdered uh, he had somehow I don't know if it was a dating app I don't know how he met these gays but he shot the, he shot and killed them in cold blood in Washington yeah it, and uh, it, it, two men two men he shot outside a gay nightclub in Seattle and then he he went to uh, he crossed the country and went and in New Jersey killed that young boy. And you know how he described himself. You know how he described himself to detectives. He described himself to detectives as a strict Muslim. That's yeah. how he described himself to detectives. And you know what? And I and I'm the and I'm the problem. You see, I'm the problem because I because I oppose jihad terror. I am a racist, Islamophobic, anti-Muslim bigot. You get it? And this guy will go to jail, this guy will go to jail, and he will get three halal meals, and he will get his pramat, and he will get his, because you've got to respect his religion, uh, he will get his pramat, and he will get his, he will get his Quran, and he will, I assure you, convert and radicalize others. Do you know that the jihadis, who beheaded Lee Rigby, the, 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 the soldier I was telling you about in the U.K. who was beheaded in the street. I was supposed to lay a wreath at. His beheader, his murderer, is a hero in the prison. He is looked at as a, as a, as a superstar, and he's converting and radicalizing other prison 
inmates. And, and prisons right. have become a hotbed of jihadism. You're never going to hear Diane Sawyer when she did her special on ISIS last Friday night. And she did a special yeah. on how ISIS uh, recruited in America. And, who, and let me tell you something. It was everything but Islam. It was because this guy was lazy. And that guy was fat. This kid was popular but bored. This kid was unpopular. This kid... You cannot, you could not believe the garbage that this woman, who, by the way, I'm sorry, you can, you can say anything you want to me, okay? She's just too old. Enough, Diane. Put down the mic, okay? You can barely talk, okay? You're a million years old. It's like my grandmother used to say, kumza fresha. It's time for the fresh crop. Like, you got to give it up. Plus, you stink. Plus, you stink, okay? <laughs> Plus, at such a critical time, you're, you're dishing out, you're shoveling this garbage when it's such a critical issue. It's the gravest threat our nation faces, and you're coming up with crap like that and proselytizing for Islam and showing, you know, little Muslim children in schools and how we can't bully them. And, you know, nobody talks about it. And I have parents writing me all the time about Muslim children in, in public schools here that bully particularly Jewish kids. Nobody, nobody talks about that. Or, or the fact that if you look at the FBI st- statistics, the highest hate crime is against the Jews. It's like fourfold, okay? And a Muslim is way down there. And they don't even separate how much of that Muslim hate crime is committed by Muslims. Like that Yasmin Saweed, the girl that said that she was attacked on the train by three drunken white guys yelling Trump and trying to pull a hijab. She was on the cover of every single newspaper, not just here in America. But in Europe, it was world news. And then it came out that she lied about it. And why did she lie? Because she had a non-Muslim boyfriend, and she was afraid of her father. And then, I mean, the story just gets weirder and weirder. When she appears in court, her head is shaved. Her father shaved her head. And the newspaper's reporting it like this is normal. And Yasmin Saweed appeared in court, her head shaved, as if this is a normal thing. And I guarantee you her father didn't shave her head because she uh, lied and said it was Islamophobia. He shaved her head because she was dating a non-Muslim boy. That's why he shaved her head. The media is the most powerful and dangerous weapon that our enemies have in their arsenal. Pam, I, I, I want to touch on a couple of things. I, yeah, I want, to, I want to touch on a couple of things because I'm one, I'm one of those very few Americans that actually is very informed inform about Muslim, uh, Islam and Muslims all over the world and what's happening in, in, in Europe, especially like in, in the U.K. with Tommy Robinson, who, who, who's a great hero. I mean, he's fighting a battle by himself over there against the Muslims. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Tommy Robinson. Uh, in the UK. I am I am familiar with Tommy Robinson. I worked with Tommy Robinson for a number of years, and then when he got into trouble with some mortgages, with some bank fraud, um, you know, he threw he threw me under the bus. You know, it was a, not a cool thing to do. I guess he wanted less jail time, so he had to publicly rebuke me. So I'm not a giant fan, but you could understand that. You know what I mean? I don't want to say anything bad about him, but that was just oh no no no. I'm just, I'm just. I know he's he's definitely one of the individuals that in the UK that is going really. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I I I completely agree. Yeah, but the other thing, I think a lot, and I want to get your opinion on it. I think a lot of the reason that a lot of the politicians and a lot of the laws 
and the media is, is being compromised in regards to Muslim is because of the Muslim effect regarding petrodollars, the money that is coming in, especially from Saudi Arabia. You know, of course. We just had a purge. We had a purge of all these uh, prime ministers and who were basically influenced, influenced throughout and pouring money all over the world to build mosques and, 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 and build schools. And that was really, really one of the biggest influence. Um, Saudi Arabia is one of the biggest influence when it comes to Wahhabi. That's not well. Yeah, okay. I just want to. I think we're conflating two issues. I don't think that's going to stop. And you're right. Eighty percent of the mosques in this country are built with Saudi money through the um, mm -hmm. Islamic uh, Circle of North America. That organization. Eighty percent of the mosques. Sure. What we see right. going on in Saudi Arabia right now with all these arrests, even Prince Talal, is um, the new sheriff is in town, and he is going to uh, quash and suppress and arrest any perceived right. thre threats to his, his reign, any perceived threats yes. to his throne. And I will tell you that no one's really paying attention to what's happening in Saudi Arabia, but uh, that could go very badly. I mean, as bad as Saudi Arabia is, and I think they're horrible, it could fall to a, imagine a Khomeini, okay, Khomeini is, is Shia, in Iran, but imagine that. Imagine that kind right. of a rule, an Islamic State kind of seizing control of Saudi Arabia. That could become a very, very dangerous situation. That's a scary right, situation right. there. But I agree. If not for the pet, listen, you know, the, the, there's 1,400 years of jihadi wars, land appropriations, cultural annihilations, and enslavements. The fact is the Ottomans, the caliphate, was, was vanquished by the British Empire. That's why there's so little. When we grew up, we didn't know anything about from Islam. We weren't taught about the caliph and how they slaughtered millions and millions of people in our school because it was history that uh, it was like any other group that was extinct. You know, you didn't even think about it. Um, I shouldn't say group. I should say ideology that was extinct. They were, they, were, they were vanquished. But, yes, it was the West, vis-a-vis -vis the petrodollars that resurrected the, the Islamic world. But more so, it was Jimmy Carter who threw out our great ally, our great friend, from the power in the region, Iran, the, the Shah of Iran. He was a great uh, friend of, of this country. He was a great ally in the region, as good as Israel. And he really uh, helped oust him and install the most vicious, brutal malocracy in modern history. He resurrected the, uh, the Islamic supremacist global movement. That... And, of course, uh, America aiding uh, Afghanistan against the Soviets. the Soviets. Nobody saw that coming. You know, we aided right. the Mujahideen, and uh, mm -hmm. that's where, uh, that, was, that was where oh, oh, Osama bin Laden rose from. And once he, once he, Osama bin Laden felt that once he defeated, in his mind he felt that he defeated the Soviets, he thought, well, I can take down one superpower. Uh, why can't I? I can certainly take down another. Right, but I, I, th I think what you meant when you mentioned the thing about the FBI and, and not trusting law enforcement, they're all, they're all, in my opinion, they're getting money. They're getting they've been bribed. They've been yes. they've been compromised by by Saudi money. 
Middle Eastern money was has been influencing, and now you're seeing about the Huffington Post and the media. They're also getting they're getting a payoff from that. Yep, I believe they're, that they're swinging. They're swinging and leaning and 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 basically criticizing individuals like yourself that are out there really getting out the message. They want to basically they don't want that to happen because. Hey, you know they're working for their masters in 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 Saudi in the Saudi, in the Saudi uh, Peninsula. Well, listen, this is this came out in this is the latest revelation in the Russia dossier um, uranium deal that, of course, the media just doesn't want to talk about. I mean, it's just as a matter of fact, it was brought up before Congress. The fact that the media is just not—they're doing the American people a great, uh, great harm uh, by not discussing these key issues because the American people are not being informed. It's just came up some caucus uh, brought up the fact that the uranium one deal is not is not being discussed but what the latest um, re, you know revelation is that reporters were paid to spread collusion claims and mm-hmm. so now they're trying to get these names out of fusion uh, which was the group that Hillary p- paid for the dirty dossier. Um, and th- they're not denying that journalists were paid, but they're saying that under the First Amendment they shouldn't have to release the names. Well, let me tell you, if you're paying press, that's not First Amendment anymore. I, you know, that's really dangerous. When you're misinforming and feeding poison to the press because you're getting paid for it. So, I mean, to your point, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think, and because they really make so little money, I don't even think they have to do much. What I mean by that is a couple theater tickets. I think our people come very cheap. A dinner, yeah, a dinner at a nice restaurant. You know, they're very, the left is very, you know, they're very, um, like, thirsty and, and, and uh, immoral. So you can have well, them. They're like cheap. They're like cheap prostitutes. You can have them for a couple bucks. Yeah. But Pam, Pam, yeah. I, 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 want, I want to make another point. Getting back to Europe, you see, you see how the media, you see how the EU attacks countries like Poland, countries like Slovakia, like Hungary, and now even Austria. That they just basically have a new prime minister that's opposed to. The migration that has been compromised also and influenced by the NGO uh, organizations and non-governmental that are getting paid by the EU and by Middle Eastern countries to basically transport all these supposed migrants, migrants that are basically individuals that are all practically all males. No females. I haven't seen any females. Well, they, they, yeah, they, right. They, no, no, no. You, you, there, there were some females, but you absolutely the majority were male, military age, and fit. It is an invading army. It's the Hijra. You know, Islam doesn't start. The religion of Islam doesn't start until Muhammad immigrate. You know, migrates until Muhammad leaves Mecca as an immigrant, as it were from Medina. That's when Islam starts because that's when he begins to spread Islam by the sword. And so the Hijra, Al-Hijra, the immigration jihad, is a religious imperative. 
you are it is it, you know it is an imperative that you that you migrate and you spread islam and what most people don't understand is that muslims are the only immigrant group that come to the west with a ready-made model of society that they believe to be superior and they seek to impose it and under islam sharia law supersedes man-made law no man-made law is over the law of allah none that's an absolute. So there's actually direct conflict with Sharia law coming into the United States here. Well, you know, the, the, the thing is, there, you know, the, the elites, the elites are adhering to it. I mean, you see, the media is self-enforcing the Sharia. You see, after Muslims open fire on a free speech event on home soil in our country, I was blamed, like one would blame the rape victim for wearing a skirt. I was blamed by the media. They were not sympathetic, not at all. I shouldn't have done it. That's what I, you know, that's what I was told. I shouldn't have done it. And this is, this is, this is the Sharia, you know. Um, Islamic law forbids any criticism of Islam, Quran, Muhammad, and if they cannot be criticized in the U.S., we are, in effect, accepting Islamic law as overriding the freedom of speech. And what this does is this basically establishes Muslims as a superior class. I mean, it's really happening. I'm living it. You know, you talk about it with people who are unaffected by it. Uh, and they think that you're, you know, that you're making this stuff up. But in fact, I am living under it. And what happens is, yeah, I got two letters today, two different parents in schools. And they're like, listen, I just sort of found out about you. And this, I, I, I apologize, but I really need help. But I don't know where to turn. My seventh grader is learning the Shahada and coming home with the five pillars of Islam. And I don't know what to do. And, you know, I, I said to the parent, I said, do not go in and say that Islam is X, Y, and Z. Do, do not go in with a Quran and don't point to, you know, slay them wherever you find them, kill the Jews if they, wherever they hide, behind a tree. No. Say that if you're going to teach the Shahada, you are to teach the Lord's Prayer. And you're to teach the Shema. And if you're going to have a chapter on Muhammad, you have a chapter on Jesus. And you have a chapter on uh, Moses. And if you're going to teach the five pillars, of, you're going to teach Judeo-Christian. I mean, because it is a, say that it is a violation of the Establishment Clause, that you cannot favor one religion over another. And if it's under the guise of world history, that's why they're teaching Islam, then why aren't they teaching of the of 1,400 years of jihadi wars and uh, enslavements and cultural annihilations and the hundreds of millions of victims? Go in there, devoid of Islam if you can, because what you want to try and do is affect some change, not be called a racist, Islamophobic, anti-Muslim bigot, which is what happens to these parents, and they, 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 they recoil at being called a racist. They don't even know that Islam is not a race. This is establishing Muslims as a protected class, you see? And so this is what we have, to, we have to push back against. But it's in everything. They banned the, the Geliban. They banned all these ads from cities. It's Sharia. They're teaching our children in the public schools about Islam. That's Sharia. 
the the workers are suing in the workplace Heinz, Hertz, Walmart, Target, Disney to impose Muslim prayer times and religious garb and and and, and they're winning. They're winning massive lawsuits. That's Sharia. I mean, well, t- you know, Target and you know, Target and Walmart. They didn't want to handle meat that's not halal. Muslim cashiers. Then don't get a job where you have to handle meat that's not halal. I mean, that's really what? pretty, 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 pretty elemental. But no, they sued and they won. Uh, Pam, one of the one of the my, one of my major concerns, and I and I know for a fact that you 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 know about this, but the majority of Americans are totally clueless to this that there is a potential for the first Muslim governor in the U.S., Dr. Abdul El-Sayyad, a liberal Democrat running for the, in the state of Michigan. The Democrats are going to pour money. They, they want to make him the second Obama. What do you? What's your take on that? I don't know his background, so I mean, I don't know. Uh, there are many secular Muslims. There are Muslims that have run from jihad. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't care about individuals. I care about the ideology. I don't know enough about him, but. If he's a liberal Democrat, it's not a good sign. And that party is really now being run. I mean, Tom Lopez may have won, but Keith Ellison is his partner. Keith Ellison is Muslim Brotherhood. Keith Ellison, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood paid for his Hajj, you know, when he went on Hajj to the pilgrimage. I mean, he's really an operative, hardcore. He's, you know, running the DNC. It can't be good, but I don't know the man. I don't know his background. But look, that state, well, has, has, that state has deep problems. It really does. That's uh, Hamatrack, right, is in that state, First Muslim City Council. And all kinds of things are happening there. I mean, you know, all, you know, people will wake up one day in a gulag and they're like, how did I get here? Well, nothing happens for decades and yeah. decades happen in a day. It doesn't ha- Nothing, things don't just happen. Things are made to happen, and things are happening. And just because, you know, you can avoid reality, but you can't avoid the consequences of avoiding reality. Well, um, yeah, I just want to say know, we do I have know, callers I, on the I line. Hold on, hold on, Cisco. One, hold on, Cisco, one sec. We do have callers on the line. Um, if you can, press 1 if you want to ask a question, uh, and don't be shy. Go ahead, Cisco. Well, uh this, I, I know a little about him. I've been reading up on him. He is, he does believe in, 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 in Sharia law. He's, he's a, a firm believer in Sharia law. And um, that's something that, you know, Dearborn, Michigan, is basically 99% controlled by the, uh, by, by, by the Muslims. Yeah. Well, you know, people should go. People should go to these events, although, of course, you know, there is that imperative under Islam to kia, to lie to advance Islam. So you ask and say, is, do you think Hamas is a terrorist group? Now, if he turns around and he says, well, I oppose any terrorism against innocent civilians, there's a problem with that, because under Islam, uh, the kufar, the infidel, the non-Muslim, is never innocent and not considered an innocent Muslim. So he's still being true to Islam if he says that, and still he's fooling the kufar, that's us, the filthy non, non-Muslim. non So, I mean, it's a, it, it, is an, it is a good question to ask anyway. Uh, and I would also ask about, you know, what do you think of drawing a cartoon? Do you have a problem with that? 
uh, again, these, they, of course, he may very well lie, but it, it pays to ask these questions. No one ever does. And, mm-hmm. you know, it does catch them off guard, and you might yeah. be able to get a window into his soul. Definitely. Um, uh, okay, Pam, uh, uh, Pam, we're running out of time. Cisco, we're running out of time. Um, yes, the website, the you website your website, the book, in the book, in the book. The book is Fatwa Hunted in America, and it's my story. But honestly, it's it, what happened to me is what happens to every American who stands in small and large ways. It happens to every American who stands in defense of freedom. It should be required reading because I was apolitical before 9-11. I was the quintessential New York City career girl. I love my art, my fashion, my, my life, my books, my, my music, my, my, the theater, and I assumed my freedom. I, uh, I thought the good cop was on the world beat and evil had been defeated in World War II, and I, you know, I never, in, for a moment, uh, thought my freedom could ever be in jeopardy. Or, or, or could you know was even a question it was like the air that i breathed and then you know 911 was a political awakening for me and i felt guilty i didn't know who had attacked the country and when i found out i felt guilty that i didn't understand the ideology and so i read the quran and then i read the great scholars the honest scholars of islam ibn warak and uh, Bachayor, and this is how I came to the fight, purely organically. And so my story is the story of every American. It will shock people. It will shock people because it's not just living under 24-hour death threat. It's the fights. It, 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 it's the battles. Mm-hmm. It's leading the, the opposition to the ground zero mosque when the president wanted it and the mayor wanted it and the media was dying for it, and yet we defeated that mosque. So these things are possible because that 16-story mosque-strosity in a building that was destroyed in the 9-11 attacks would have been Mecca on the Hudson. It would have been Mecca on the Hudson. So these are the fights, and there are, there are too numerous to go into here, but it is riveting. It, you will be on the edge of your seat, and you will want to get fatwa for Hanukkah for your family, and you will want to get fatwa for Christmas for your friends, because we need an army of Davids to defeat this enormous, unbelievably funded Goliath of a leftist Islamic axis. Awesome. And um, Pam... Yeah, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show, and you can thank come you. back anytime, Definitely. of course. This is a very uh, pressing issue. And just the closer? Definitely, definitely. Well, we just had a great guest who is a true warrior when it comes to defending freedom, and we must believe and help her in joining together to battle the evil that we have, that we're confronting now. God bless America. God bless you. Amen. And And folks, we are out until next week. Have a good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.